Hello. Thank you for listening to our podcast today. We hope that you will be encouraged and it builds your faith. Thanks for listening. When I started in ministry, is that uh, most in this generation struggles with a what I call a mixture in their life. Uh, there's this battle, this mixture that is in their life. They uh, have this mixture of blessing and cursing in their life. This, this mixture of that which is holy and that which is unholy. They have this mixture of what's godly and ungodly. And it operates in their lives at the same time. And what happens is they fail to step into places of kingdom living or everything that God has for them because there's this mixture in their life. There's this constant battle of the flesh and the spirit. There's this constant struggle of not letting go of certain things and not uh, turning certain things over to God. It's a, it's a submission thing. It's a yielding thing. And so when we talk about this this morning and, and we talk about that we, we live in a generation that is full of mixture, that's why I don't believe the church has the power that it should have. But it doesn't mean it's not coming. Because I believe God's getting ready to touch a generation and holiness is going to come back in the church. Purity is going to come back in the church. Power is going to come back in the church. And God wants to deal. And when you deal, when you talk about the kingdom, there are many times in Scripture that Jesus deals with this mixture. He deals with kingdom living. Matter of fact, in Matthew chapter 13, if you read through that, it's the, it's the story of the parable of the wheat and the tares. And uh, the Bible said a sower went out to sow good seed. And he went out to sow good seed, and when he went to bed that night, he woke up the next morning, and what he had found, that while he slept, the enemy had sown tares, or had sown uh, into, mixed with the good seed, some bad seed, while he slept. Now the Bible said the enemy did that, right? It said the enemy sowed that. It said the sower was sowing good seed, but while he was unaware, the enemy sowed bad seed. And the Bible said the sower, one of the servants came to the owner of the field, and this is what he said. He said, did you not? Did you not sow good seed? In other words, he's saying, listen, if you were who you say you were, I thought you said you sowed good seed. It always amazes me how people want to come over and judge your garden and judge your field when they've got plenty of, when they got plenty of stuff in their own field. It amazes me how, how people always want to come over and look at your field and what's going on in your life instead of really looking at what's going on in their own life. He said, I thought you sowed good seed. And it's amazing to me how many people want to get involved in your stuff and how many know we all have stuff. But a lot of times we have to come to the place to where we know the enemy sometimes sows tares and sows seed into our life. And he, and he went on to say that the enemy had done this. And there's times things get planted in our lives that we didn't sow. There's times that there's things that rise in our life that come that we didn't sow that, but the enemy sowed that. And so we have to deal sometimes with the consequences of what the enemy may have sown in our life. And the truth is, sometimes we're responsible for what has happened in our life. The fruit we're reaping is what we have sowed. 
And so, but there's a lot of times the enemy does come in and he does mess up our lives. He does create chaos in our lives. And not only, you know, uh, you know, do we have the mess that we create, but sometimes there's messes that we have to deal with that, that we weren't even responsible for. I remember in the book of Acts, did not Paul stand before those who were getting ready to sail? And Paul said, do not sail this ship, for we will shipwreck. And the owner of the ship, the captain of the ship, the Roman centurion said, we're going to sail. Paul said, don't sail, it's too dangerous. And Paul had to get in the ship. And what happened? The ship wrecked. And Paul said, did I not tell you that this was a dangerous thing? In other words, Paul had to live out the consequences of decisions that other people had made for him. And there are times in our lives, things get sown into our lives that are not necessarily our problem, but because we are associated with certain people, all of a sudden we are involved in the middle of something. Some of you all had had to pay the penalty of certain things in your life. It wasn't what you did, but it's what those around you did. You've ever had to deal with a wayward child or ever had to deal with a situation where a child had gone away or a family member uh, had done something and you're suffering the consequences of those decisions. The truth is, Paul had to respond to that just as Paul responded to that. But also, we, we understand that there's sometimes we make decisions that have an effect on our life. Isn't that right? God got Jonah. He said, Jonah, I want you to go to Nineveh. Right? God, listen, he, he got down, he got down to the harbor there, and Jonah had a choice. He could either get on a boat and head to Nineveh, or he could get on that boat and head to Tarshish. And the truth is, is that God will speak to us in an easy place. <laughs> Y'all with me this morning? God will speak to us in an easy place where we have to make a decision. But once we make a decision, we begin to head on a course. And a lot of times where our course ends up is because of what we sowed in our life and the decisions that we made. And so sometimes we end up in places in our life because we have made those decisions. But there's times that others have made those decisions for us. And so things get sown into our lives. Bad seed gets in our life and we have to uh, suffer the fruit that comes out of those seeds of decisions. But here's the key. How we respond in those moments will determine whether or not you are a kingdom person or a church person. <laughs> Come on, y'all get with me this morning. How you respond to those moments, to that seed, how you respond will determine whether or not you have a kingdom mindset or whether or not you have a religious mindset or a church mindset. Look with me to the book of Mark chapter 4. I want to begin looking there and I want to read a few verses of scripture. And hopefully God will speak to your heart this morning about kingdom living, about sowing and reaping. How many know the Bible says in Genesis, as long as the earth remains, there will be seed time and harvest. You know what that means? That the principle, as long as we're on this earth, the principle is, what you sow, you will reap. <laughs> Y'all with me this morning? Because I'm here to tell you, a lot of times, we are eating the fruit of what we have sown, 
And then we want to blame God because we're eating the fruit of the decisions that we have made. And then it's God's fault that we're not where we should be. <laughs> All right. I, I don't know if I'm getting any help this morning or not. I'm just, I'm going to preach anyway. I'm not scared. Mark chapter 4, beginning in verse 1, it said, Again, he began to teach by the sea, and a great multitude had gathered to him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea, and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Now, the first thing that I notice here this morning when I begin to read this and study this, first of all, I begin to notice the multitude. There was a multitude that was around there, right? And it's amazing, places Jesus went, there was always a multitude around. But this is what I love about Jesus. Jesus had a way with dealing with the crowd and the multitude. Jesus, by a few words, could disperse just the crowd and all that's left is disciples. <laughs> Jesus had a way of just speaking a couple of words and all of a sudden the crowd would dis dissipate and all that would be left would be those that would be hungry for God. All that we got back to the preaching that when we preach the word of God, that all that remained would be those who would truly be disciples. But it's interesting. There's another picture of this in the book of Luke chapter 14. And, and in Luke 14, we see it says in verse 25, Now a great multitude went out with him. That's an interesting word. And the word, it said a multitude had gone out with him, along with him. In other words, they, they went out with him, but they were there as long as they got something. And the word means to be alongside. In other words, it's, it's almost like anticipating getting something. It's almost like, like what am I going to get for free? And the crowds were lung, hung around Jesus as long as they got something from him and got paid something from him, whether they got fish and loaves or whether they got whatever was going on at the time, as long miracles and healings, as long as they got those things from Jesus, they were always willing to follow him. But the Bible said the multitude went along with him and went along beside him. But all of a sudden, Jesus does something that's interesting he turns, and the Bible says in verse 25 of Luke 14, and he turned and he said to them, if anyone comes after me and does not hate his father, mother, wife, children, brother, sister, yes, and his own life also, he cannot be my disciple. Here the crowd was following Jesus. Jesus turns, and he gives them a hard word. And he says, if you're going to follow me, you must love, you, you must hate, your mother, father, brother, sister, cousin, uncle, granny, step-cousins, step-uncles, double steps. All of them. Now, that's a harsh word. Now, when we read that in the English, we think Jesus speaks of the word hate. We think that's the English translation, that I'm supposed to all of a sudden disconnect from my family or disconnect from my family or not be as attentive to my family. It's almost as saying that Jesus saying, oh, just be alone or get away from your family. They're not, that's not what Jesus is saying. Actually, the Greek word there, actually it means this. It means that, it means this, it means that to love less. In other words, because we never, you can never love greater until you first love less. This is what Jesus is saying. Jesus is saying is that your love for me has to be greater. And if your love for me is greater, you'll love your family better. You'll love your wife better. You'll love your children better. You'll love your life better. 
In other words, in order to love greater, you have to love less. And so what Jesus is saying is the priority is seek ye first the kingdom of God. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. And all these things shall be added unto you. What is he saying? If you'll love Jesus with everything you got, you'll be able to love your wife right. You'll be able to love your children right. But if Jesus is always at the end of every list in your life, you will struggle with every relationship you got because you're loving naturally more and Jesus less. But if you'll love Jesus more, God will teach you how to love those others greater than what you love them right now. Huh? It's a priority thing. It's a priority thing. It's coming into place. We had the youth over our house last time. Woo, praise God. You know, they think different. And we were watching the movie Overcomer. And there's this spot in the movie where this guy, he walks into this hotel room, or or a hospital room, and the guy that's the focus of the movie, he's blind, and he was a drug addict, and he's in the hospital, and he's lost everything. His family, he's lost everything. And And he recently has made a fresh commitment to the Lord. And so uh, the character, uh, I don't know what his name was, Robbie, Jeff, Steve, John, one, walks into the room, and as he's laying there, and he's supposed to be this Christian, he's out on visitation, he's going to the hospitals, he's supposed to be a man that loves God, and he's all down and out because his high school basketball team that he coaches has been nullified and, and, and all of this, and his son can't play ball, and he's losing players. And all of a sudden, the, the athletic director of the school is making him co- coach cross-country instead of coach basketball. And he's all down about that because he's only got one runner. How I many know that's not much of a team if you got one runner? And she's got asthma. <laughs> it's a great movie. So he's, he's kind of in this pouting mood. He goes into this hospital room. Here's this guy that's blind. He's lost everything he had. He's a drug addict. He is, and all of a sudden, he recently gave his life to the Lord, and he asks the guy a question. He says to him, he asks this coach, he asks this uh, uh, Christian guy, he says, uh, he said, so who are you? What, what's your identity? Who is? Who are you? In other words, he wanted him to tell him what his identity was. And he said, well, I'm, I'm a bas- basketball coach, and I'm a, you know, this coach. And he's like, no, who are you? He said, well, I'm a father, I'm a dad, I'm, a, I'm this, I'm that. No, who are you? He goes, well, I'm a husband. I'm, you know. Finally, he says, well, I'm just, I'm just a white guy, he says. And then the last thing he says is he says, well, I'm a Christian. And the point was this. The point was the reason why he was so down about coaching cross country is because his heart was on basketball, his heart was on other things, but if his heart would have been toward the Lord, whatever God would have asked him to do would have been enough for his life. Your identity, my identity, is in Christ Jesus. Who we are is in Christ, regardless of what he asks us to do. Whether we are a coach, or whether we are a lawyer, or whether we're an engineer, or whether we have our own business. The priority shouldn't be the object, but should be Jesus in our life. Because when Jesus is first, everything else gets taken care of in our life. But it's hard to put Jesus first when there's a mixture in our life. Oh, 
when we have this mixture that's in our life, this mixture in our life, we don't become overcomers. And then when you begin to back to Mark chapter 4 and verse 1, the Bible, it's interesting. Because he goes into this prayer, he says again, this great multitude together on a boat and this whole multitude facing the sea in verse 2 it says, then he taught them many things and parables and said to them in his teaching. The Bible said he taught them in many parables. In other words, he taught them in stories. He just put parables out there. He taught them in stories and he was teaching them. Verse 3, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow. This is what he was teaching. And it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth. And immediately it sprang up because it had no depth. But when the sun was up, it was scorched because it had no root and withered away. And so he goes on and he talks about this. He talks about the wayside. He begins and he goes down here and he gives a couple other meanings. And then Jesus gets off with his disciples and Jesus' disciples, all of a sudden, they ask him this question. In verse 10, they say, but when he was alone, those around him with, with the 12 asked him about the parable. And he said to them, to you, <clears throat> it's a mystery to the kingdom of God, but to those who are on the outside or outside, all things are in parables. In other words, they came to Jesus and they said, hey, What's going on here? You spoke these parables, and you said all of these parables, and, you, and then these, 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 these parables, and you did teaching, and then when Jesus got them alone, he began to reveal the meaning of the parable. And they're saying, well, why did you not teach that to those who were in the multitude? Why did you not teach that to those who were out there? And Jesus said, you know, his response to him was, um, in other words, here's what he's saying. If you really want to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, they're not found in the crowd, but they're found in those who will separate themselves and draw near to God. Listen to me. There are things that the scripture teaches that's, that's good for the crowd. They're stories. They're things for the crowd. But if you want to go deeper in God, you've got to draw nigh to him. And there's only some things that God will reveal as you draw nigh to him and become a disciple. There's some things we learn as disciples that we don't learn at just being a part of the crowd. Y'all hearing me this morning? You have to draw close. You have to draw nigh to him. You have to love less and love him more so that you can love more. you got to seek first the kingdom of God. And Jesus' response to them in verse 12 so that seeing that they may see and not perceive, hearing that they may hear and not understand, lest they should turn and their sins be forgiven them. Jesus' response to them is this. He's saying, look, they see, but they don't, they see, but they don't understand, or they don't perceive. He says they hear, but they don't have understanding. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying those who don't want to be disciples 
They're not interested in the deeper things of God. They're not interested in drawing close to God. They will see things but not perceive them. They will hear things but not understand them. Jesus said those who want understanding, those who want perspective, are those who learn to draw nigh to me, and I will reveal the principles of the kingdom of God unto them. What's he doing? He's calling disciples. He's calling people into a greater walk with God. He said they see and don't perceive. You know what that has to do with? Vision. They hear but don't understand. You know what that has to do with? Direction. And people who are crowd Christians never have vision and never have direction. (laughs) Okay. You know how I know? Because I sit with people all the time. And they say, I don't know what I'm going to do. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know. And they don't know. You know why they don't know? Because they're always being a part of the crowd. They're not letting Jesus deal with the deep things of their life. They're not drawing closer to him so he can put his finger on their life and wash out the mixture that is in their life, purify them, wash them, and cleanse them. Because if you're going to perceive and have vision, and if you're going to have understanding and have direction, you've got to draw nigh to Jesus. You've got to be a part of the crowd of disciples that are willing to go where he goes, do what he says do, live the way he says live. Then God will begin to unravel and reveal to you vision and direction and principles of the kingdom of God. Woo! I feel good if anybody else does. And he said to them, do, listen, he said to them, do, he said to them, do you not understand, verse 13, this parable? How then will you understand all the parables? What Jesus saying is, If you can't get this, you can't get any of it. It's kind of like in high school, if you miss the first few days, the first week or two of algebra, you ain't getting it. (laughs) I know. (laughs) I played around the first couple of weeks and I got into it and I'm like, oh my God, what is this? Why? Because I didn't get it in the beginning. And if I don't get it in the beginning, you're not going to get it at the end. And here's the thing. When you get saved, if you don't draw nigh to God, you'll find yourself in a place later on in life, and you'll say, man, I've been a Christian. Why did I not have a breakthrough? I'll tell you why. Because you never drew nigh to God. You never became a disciple. You never left the old things and step into the new but I'm here to tell you those who understand the kingdom let old things die and step into the new life in Christ hang with me I'm going somewhere I promise you and to the 12 he said that to the 12 not the crowd and this is what he said look at verse 14 he said and the sower sows the word Listen to me. The sower sows the word. Now he's beginning to real, reveal the secret thing that he would not reveal to the crowd. <laughs> Thank God I'm glad I'm a disciple this morning. I'm glad I can go to God and he can give me understanding in the deep things of my life. He said the sower is the word of God. The sower is the word of God. Now, look what it says in verse 15 and 16. 
And these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. And when they hear, Satan comes immediately. When? Comes and takes away the word that was sown into their hearts. All right? So the wayside, the, the word is spoken. The word is like a seed. The sower sends the word out as a seed. And immediately, as it falls on the wayside, immediately Satan comes and takes it. Right? Immediately, Satan has stolen it from him. And then it goes on to say, it was sown in the heart. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground, who then they hear the word immediately, receive it with gladness. They receive it with gladness, right? These are the ones that, that, that the word is sown on stony ground. They receive it with gladness, with joy, right? And it says they receive it and immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. After, when, the tri- when tribulation or persecution arises, for the word's sake, for the word's sake, in other words, for the word's sake, so that which was sown in them for that sake, not any other reason, does Satan come, but for the word that's sown in you, for the promise that's in you, Satan comes again immediately, right? And they stumble. Now he tells us this. The stony, there's two soils here. The first one, Satan comes immediately, steals the word. The second is the word is sown, and then uh, all of a sudden uh, the word is taken, and they have received it with gladness, right? Right? And then immediately Satan steals it. And, and, so, and so what happens is when tribulation comes, then they stumble. Why? Because the word never took root. They never had root. They, because the word never got rooted, when tribulation come, they didn't know how to battle the tribulation. They didn't know how to persevere through the challenge that came their life. Listen, every Christian, when you get saved and the word of God is beginning to be sowed into your life, Bet you one dollar to a hundred, Satan will try to steal every word that goes and lands on the surface of your heart. Why? So that when tribulation comes, you can't persevere through the hard times of your life, and the Bible says they stumble. But here's the key. Now let me talk to us Pentecostals for just a moment. <laughs> Since we're singling people out. It said they received the word with gladness. Did they not? <laughs> now, I don't know if you're like me. If you, I pastored in a country. You know, I pastored people from Possum Holler. Possum Holler. There's a community called Possum Holler. I pastored people from Possum Holler. And, uh, and when I first got saved, I got around some Pentecostals. And I'm telling you, there's a time when the church, I'm telling you, I've been in some services. I mean, and y'all know what a huck and buck preacher is? Does anybody know what a huck and buck preacher is? A huck and buck preacher is a preacher that preaches like this. God, ha, huh, said that, ha, huh, he is coming soon, ha, huh, get your life right, ha, huh, because God is getting ready to move in your life, ha. Huh. 
That's hucking and bucking. I love hucking and bucking preachers. And what happens is I've been in them services where they get a hucking and bucking and that word gets in them and they receive that word gladly and they start getting happy and they start a dancing. They start, they start hooping. They start dancing. Wigs are flying and hankies are waving. Huh? And I heard the preacher say, if you want your healing, get up right now and lean to the right so that God can touch you. If you need a financial miracle, drop your wallet and dance on your wallet for Jesus has overcome your finances. I've been to hop on one leg and God's going to heal you. Come on, you got the whole church hopping on one leg. People dropping babies and running. No, I've been in them services. I've been in them services. I'm telling you, some of them will last to midnight. You better not have nobody in those kind of churches pray for you because you're not leaving until you break through. They grab you and they hold you. They put you down. They say, he's not getting up, Lord, till he is free. Yes, Lord. Heal him. Shake him. Roll him. Heal him. Touch him. Go. And by the time they're done with you, you'll say anything to be able to get up. But I've been in those kind of churches. And let me tell you something. All that hollering, all that screaming, all that, uh, they received the word. But I'm telling you, a lot of those people will get up out of those services and walk right back out there and immediately Satan would steal the word because the word doesn't get in you by hollering, hucking and bucking, shouting. The word gets in you when the soil of your heart is ready to receive the word. And let me tell you, I don't want to pastor a church that's all about the hucking and bucking and the noise and all that. That's fine. But I want a word church. I want where the soil of the word of God can get inside somebody. And life can begin to germinate inside them. And guess what? Sometimes it will make you dance. Sometimes it will make you shout. But I'm here to tell you just because you demonstrate, that don't scare the devil. That don't scare the devil in five minutes. Not for five minutes. Whew. Y'all wore me out. See, I'd, I'd rather you have a walk with God than just have a shout for God. Because your walk is going to take you a lot further than your shout. Because your shout is only as good as your circumstances are for that moment. Because the first time you get in trouble, all of a sudden you lose your shout. But I'm here to tell you, if you begin to walk right with God and the word gets in you and gets planted in you, it doesn't matter what your circumstances are. The days you don't feel like shouting, you've got fruit in your life because the word of God is a living seed that landed on good ground. Am I right about it? Okay, I'm getting there. I'm almost done. Verse 17, it says, and they, and they had no root. Why? Why, why did, because they didn't have no root. The word had no place to be rooted in. And so when the tribulation come, they could not fight through the tribulation. 
Immediately they stumbled. And there's a lot of people, I know, I know a lot of Christians. And what happened is, is that we have taught them how to demonstrate Christianity on an outward focus, but never learn how to become a disciple on the inside. And we can fool everybody on the outside we want, but the bottom line is God knows what's on the inside. Woo. Woo. See, you don't even know if you got a word from God until it's been tested. <laughs> you don't even know if God's even spoke to you until you've been tested. Well, God spoke to me to go to Africa. Is that right? But you can't go next door and share Jesus to your neighbor, but God's going to send you to Africa. A word is not a word until it's been tested. And the point is here is that the word is falling on ground, and what's happened is because there's no root, it's being stolen away, and so all of a sudden, listen, I don't know about you, the reason we're living on mission is because we've seen too many people come into this church in the front door, and in a few months, they run out the back door. You know Why? Because we've not taught them, discipled them how to let the word of God take root in their life. And the first trial they get, Satan steals the word from them. And they immediately fall into tribulation. And all of a sudden, the next thing you know, they are stumbling with their walk with God. Am I right about it? Whoo! Glory to God. Look at verse 20. But these are those ones sown on good ground, and those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit, some 30, some 60, and some 100-fold. Some 100-fold. Wow. Now, I'll tell you one thing. I'm thankful that I go to a shouting church. I'm thankful I go to the church that believes the whole Bible. We don't skip pages in this this church. We read every page. We don't skip any of them. We believe it from Genesis all the way through to the maps, baby. Even unto your name. We just don't, listen, we just don't have a message in a book, but we are people who believe that God can give us power. We believe the Bible says the same power that rose Christ from the dead lives inside of us. We're not ashamed to pray for the sick. We're not ashamed to believe the power of God can be revealed and manifested right here in the midst of us. We believe that. We teach that. We preach that. What does that mean? That means I don't have to live and settle for life the way it is. It means that I can believe God for greater things. It means that I don't have to live my life with the foot of life on my head, but I can take my foot and put my foot on the head of life. It doesn't mean that I have to live subjected to what everybody thinks of me or says of me. It means that I can live in a way to where I know who I am in Christ Jesus. That I know that I am created by him and made by him, and I am who he says I am and not what anyone else says I am. And so what happens is that we have forms and we create traditions that have no power in our life. Hallelujah. And so here's what happens. 
God takes the power of life and puts it in a seed. And he takes the power of that life, he puts it in a seed, he packs it in a seed, and then he wants to plant it into your life. Now here's the thing. When we pray, we always pray for God to give us the end result, right? That's how most people pray. You got a sickness, you pray God removes the sickness. You got a situation, a marital situation or life situation, we pray that God remove. We pray, in other words, we pray the result. We ask God for the result. But 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 you know, as 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 though someone else has done the work. But here's what the power of the manifestation in our life. Listen, here's the power of manifestation. The power of God manifesting something in our life is the power of that seed being sown into our life. If you want God to manifest his power in your finances, then you have to take the seed of the word of God and plant it in your life. If you want God to bring healing to your life and to your marriage, you have to take the seeds of the word of God and plant it in your life so that it germinates and that God can begin to build your marriage based on the word of God. Are you with me? I'm going, I'm finished, I'm getting close. The power of your freedom comes in the power of the word that is given to you. It's in the power of the seed of the word of God. It's the power, listen, here, hang with me just a second. If I go out here to this grass, and there's soil out here in our yard, right? Now, if I go out there, and I begin to sow seed into that soil out there, If I take seed out there, Doug, and I throw it down on the ground, and I start dancing on it, woo-hoo, woo-hoo, woo-hoo. If I start blessing, God bless, bless, God, you know, and if I start Holy Ghosting it and doing whatever we do, roll on it, lay on it, roll down on it, how many know that's not helping that seed grow? You put the seed in the soil, and the soil will do the rest. You put the seed in the soil, it will do the rest. It will receive the Word of God. The Word of God comes in, and and, and what what happens is, is that the seed gets into our heart, and we want a manifestation, but the thing is, is that that. If the seed never gets to our heart, it can never full bloom the manifestation. It can never come into what it should be or what God has intended it to be. Jesus is saying, the sower sows the word. The seed is the word. What he's saying is, the key to the kingdom of God is understanding that where the word is sown, there will be manifestation. The problem is, we don't get the word in our heart, we get the word in our head. (laughs) And head is not soil for seed, because Satan comes and immediately steals it. (laughs) 
That is why some people come in and hear the word of God. They get it in their head. They leave out of here, drive down the street, and flip off the guy that, that, that cuts them off. They'll cuss, and they'll cuss out there, but speaking tongues in here. <laughs> why? Because the word is in the head. It's not in the heart. I want to close with this this morning. Turn to Hebrews chapter, or Proverbs chapter, chapter 4. Proverbs chapter 4. I'm just going to prove my point. Then I'm going to quit. We talked about this when we were, when we were going through our freedom series. Proverbs chapter 4 and verse 23. It says, keep your heart with all diligence. For out of it springs the issues of life. For out of it's where, where does the issues of life come from? Comes out of your heart. It says guard your heart. Guard what goes in your heart. Why? Because out of your heart comes the issues of life. Out of your heart comes the issues of life. Now listen. The devil didn't create all your issues. Some of your issues come out of your heart. Why? Because you let your heart, you've opened your heart to things you shouldn't open up to. And so the devil's not always the problem. Sometimes we're the problem by what we let in our heart. And sometimes what's happening around you is happening around you because of what was in you. (laughs) A lot of what's going on may be that which flowed out of your heart. It was in you. That's why there's chaos in your house, because it's in you. Are y'all with me? Now listen, the job of the soil is to push the life of that seed right out of where it is. Is that right? In other words, the soil doesn't care. If I go out here, that soil doesn't care whether I put grass in it, whether I put tomatoes, whether I put oranges, whether I, the soil don't care. The soil doesn't care what's planted there because why? The soil represents our heart. Our heart is neutral. And what happens is the heart will always push forward the seed of what we put in our heart. So if you put bad seed in your heart, it's going to push forth bad fruit. If you put good seed in your heart, it's going to produce good fruit. Why is that? Because the soil's neutral. The soil only pushes forward the life that's in it. And if you put good seed in your heart, how many know good fruit will come out of your heart and the issues of life will be pleasant? Are you with me? Because see, some of the craziness in our life is because of the craziness in our heart. And the Bible talks about two things being Gates, our eyes are gates, our ears are gates, our mouth is a gate. The scripture tells us here, verse 24, put away from you the the deceitful mouth, but preserve lips far from you. Let your eyes look straight and your eyelids be looked right before you and ponder your path with your feet and let not your ways, and let all your ways be established. Do not turn to the right or left, but remove your foot from evil. What's it saying? 
You have gates in your life that lead to your heart. Your eyes are a gate to your heart. Your ears are a gate to your heart. Your mouth is a gate to your heart. And I'm here to tell you that what's in your heart will proceed out of those things. What's in your heart, your eyes will feast on. What's in your heart is what you're drawn to hearing. What's in your heart is what will come out of your mouth. Because the soil of your heart is neutral. What you put in will come out. And what Jesus is saying here, listen, if you're going to be a disciple, you have to have the right soil so that when I speak a word into your life, it gets in the soil and begins to grow. And that life pushes out of you and it becomes a fruitful Christian life. Because why? Because it's life that is on the inside of you. But the person who's unwilling to be a disciple has stony, has a stony heart, has a wayside heart, has a thorny heart, and the Word of God can't take roots. And those are the ones that remain in the crowd. And Jesus says, I'm looking for some who are going to draw nigh to me, and I'll draw nigh to them. Adam, would you come? I'm going to close with this this morning. Now, here Jesus, here in Mark 4, Woo! He taught them. Now I told you there were three things in living on mission that we were striving to do. One was to build committed people. We're going to build committed people. We want to build committed people to this body. Number two, we want to build competent Christians. How do you become competent Christians? You become a disciple. You draw nigh to God and God draws nigh to you. I'm here to tell you that we need to start doing things that draw us nigh to God. Is that not right? Am I right about it? In other words, we need, to, we need to be competent. We need to make sure that we're drawing close to God. We're pushing one another close to God. Holding one another accountable as we draw close to God. I mean, I'm just, I'm just telling you, you know, we had taught out of the book of Nehemiah. I'm telling you, Nehemiah was an amazing man. Chapter 3 of Nehemiah, every businessman, every leader should read chapter 3 of Nehemiah. Chapter 2 and 3. Nehemiah put together one of the most organized, incredible moves of God that ever known to man. You read through that chapter and you see, listen, where did Nehemiah learn it? Where did he learn it? I'll tell you where he learned it. He learned it by reading the scriptures when Moses said, look, I can't handle this all myself. I've got to begin to bring leaders under me. And the Bible said he gave captains over 50, captains over 100, captains over 200, captains over thousands. Why? Because Moses was sitting around all day hearing the grievances of the people and it was wearing him out. And his father-in-law said, hey, Moses, you can't do this day after day. And so, and so what did he do? He learned how to delegate and to put people in place a ministry and then all of a sudden it freed Moses up to fellowship with God. Nehemiah did that. Nehemiah was amazing. Nehemiah knew how to delegate people in the right place. I'm telling you, delegation is a gift. Really. To be able to delegate. And we say we want to build competent people. We want committed people. And then, and then we say we want people who are creative. We want people What's that mean? It means that we want people to serve God where they are, on your job, where you're at. God to use you in your business. So how do you do that? Well, you train people. You teach people. 
and then you'd entrust them in the ministry. You release them, you entrust them in ministry. You entrust them in ministry. But Nehemiah was smart, he just didn't de delegate because you can delegate and walk away from it. That's advocating. Nehemiah dele delegated, then he held accountable. But here's the powerful thing. If Jesus gave these disciples just this word and did not demonstrate it, then what would he be? So the end of this chapter is amazing. Stand with me if you would. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer, but i got to get this out. I want you to see this beginning in verse 35 and 36. Jesus did all this teaching on the seed, the power of the seed. Now listen to me. This is the, the gist of what I'm trying to preach this morning. Jesus said, if the word gets in your heart, life will come out of you. You will be a disciple. Jesus called them away. He called them to himself. He called them to a greater walk. He told them to pick up the cross in Luke 14 and follow me, he said. The Greek word means to attach to. That's what disciples do. They attach to Jesus. And then this, and then after all of this teaching, all of his explanation, he gets them aside. He explains the parables to them because they're disciples. And then Jesus, in verse 35, this is what he said. And on the same day, say same day, not another day. Say that country, not another day, but the same day. The same day when evening had come, he turns to his disciples and then he said to them, let us cross over to the other side. <laughs> Y'all get this. You're going to go home shouting. It just won't be in your head. It will be in your heart. He said, let's go to the other side. Now, what did he just do? He gave them a... Oh, my Lord. I got to go back and preach it all again. No. He gave them a what? He gave them a word. He said, let's get on the boat. And let's go to the other side. He spoke a word to them. He gave them vision. He gave them direction. Seeing, they, they don't perceive. But hearing, and they don't understand. Jesus said, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. I'm going to send you to the other side. That was a word. They knew exactly what Jesus said do. You want to know the will of God? Jesus told you to do last. That's the will of God. He told them to get in the boat. Now, as soon as they get in the boat, now what did the Bible say that when the seed of the word would come, what would happen? Immediately, who? Satan would try to steal it. Do you think that they're going to get in that boat and start heading across the side, across it, and the sun's going to be shining, and they're going to be putting on their uh, uh, Five proof or 30 proof, whatever you put on. And the sun's shining. And Jesus is in the boat napping. They reach over their hand, pull the fish up out of the ocean. Right? That's how the Christian life is, right? You get saved and Jesus tells you something and it's that easy. It's just smooth sailing, isn't it? 
No, what happened? A storm came. Why did a storm come? Because when a word is given, Satan comes immediately and tries to steal the word. He wanted those disciples to believe they could not get to the other side. But if the soil's right, it doesn't matter what the circumstances are. You believe the word of God. My goodness, I wish I had some Pentecostals in here. So what happened? The storm came. What happens when you get a word from God, when truth gets in your spirit? Do you think Satan is going to allow that word to come to pass without a fight in your life? And they get in the storm and they're all panicking and Jesus is sleeping in the boat. They're like, he's sleeping and the storm is coming. But Jesus just told them. He wakes up Jesus and Jesus gets up and he calms the storm. You know what he was waiting on them? You know what was a sign of maturity? them to do it. Because the truth is, he had already given them authority to do it. Your storm will sometimes lie to you and tell you that the word of God is not true. But I'm here to tell you, no matter what storm you go through, if you've got a word from God, you can hang on the word this morning. Every head bowed and every eye closed. You say this morning, Pastor, I want my heart to be right. I want to be a disciple. I want to come from the crowd. I want to break from the crowd this morning. I don't want to be, I want to be a disciple. I want to pick up my cross. I don't want to be just part of the multitude, but I want to be in the place where the secrets of the kingdom are revealed to me. Lord, speak to my heart. Let my soil be right for the condition for you to do what you want to do in my life. Guard the gates of my life. Guard my eyes. Guard my ears. Guard my mouth. Guard my heart. Let the word be sown. Be life in my heart this morning. Now, if you're here and you'd say, Pastor, I want to come out from the crowd and I want to be deeper. I want to go deeper. I want to go higher. I want to go spiritually. I want to draw nigh to God. I want to God to speak to me in the secret place. I want to get closer to God. I want to guard my heart. I don't, I don't want mixture in my life. I don't want to give place to the devil. I don't want the seed of God's word to just get in my head, but get in my heart. If that's you this morning, step out of where you are and come find a place at this altar and just find a place to kneel and to pray to God. I'm not going to pray for you. I'm not going to lay hands on you. I just want you to find a place that says, God, I want to go higher. I want to go deeper. I want to know more. I want you to speak to me. I want to be a disciple from this day forward. I want to go to a greater place. I want to go to a greater place. I want to know you more. Thank you for joining us for River Valley Community Church's podcast. If you feel led to give, you can click on the donation link in the description or visit our website at rivervalleymadison.com. If you've enjoyed the podcast, you can subscribe or share with your friends. Thanks again for listening. God bless you.